Dr Angela Dos Santos works with Australia's first mobile stroke ambulance. She's also Australia's first Aboriginal neurologist. She's a Quiambal and Goombangia woman and she's currently based at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Angela, welcome to Life Matters. Hi, no, thanks for having me um, on your show. Yeah, it's a great pleasure to chat to you today. Tell us what prompted you to become a neurologist. It's a pretty specialised field, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is, and it's it's a very long journey. Um, I started uh, I started med school um, at Western Sydney University, and I'd moved to Sydney after I'd finished high school. Um, I then. Uh, after I'd finished, um, I entered uh, as an intern and a resident to Westmead Hospital and I did most of my training there. And it was actually in uh, Westmead Hospital um, when I was working with uh, my advanced trainee, which is uh, the level above uh, myself as a, as a resident medical officer. And a woman had come in, she was only in her 40s. She just had a baby, and as you can imagine, having a baby is stressful enough, um, let alone uh, having um, not having use of the left side of her body. So she, she was a stroke call, and we attended her um, quite urgently in the emergency department. Um, within about 10 minutes, she'd had her imaging, which showed that she'd had a, well, she was having an ischemic stroke, and we were able to deliver thrombolysis, um, which is a medication that breaks down the blood clot that can cause ischemic strokes. Within about 10 minutes, she was completely resolved. So all of her stroke symptoms had resolved, and she was as if it had never occurred. And at that moment, I recognised that uh, this was such a powerful treatment to be able to give somebody and how important that would be to be able to deliver that care um, as a career. Uh, so that's why I then uh, started the journey to become a neurologist. Well, it sounds miraculous, magical to witness, <laughs> but also really full on to, to look at. Angela, is it a, an emotionally <coughs> difficult field to work in? I mean, I think it is initially. Um, I think every part of medicine is is emotionally difficult um, initially. And I, and I would say that whilst we don't um, lose any sympathy or empathy, we certainly have to um, develop a very thick skin to be able to look after patients. If you, if you don't and you become emotionally involved, it becomes very draining um, on yourself and your family. So I think every part of medicine is difficult, but it is difficult when you're unable to treat somebody, especially when you know that treatment is so re readily available in some parts of Australia, but not so much in others. Um, and it can be devastating to know that people out there are not receiving that fast um, care that is able to to then resolve their stroke symptoms, as was the case um, with the woman that presented to, to, to Westmead. So, um, yeah, I think that it can it can certainly be a bit distressing when you know patients should have should have had uh, treatments, but we're just not living in the in the right postcode to be able to receive treatment. And on that, we'll talk in a few moments about the impact on Indigenous Australians, uh, not just geographically, but also with other systemic factors when it comes to stroke. We're speaking with Angela Dos Santos. She's Australia's first Aboriginal neurologist. Uh, she works at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, but also involved with mobile stroke units, which is a very exciting field. I want to quickly ask you, Angela, about the age range of people who have strokes. We do tend to associate them with older people. Is that correct? Um, yeah, most commonly, um, unfortunately, it is the older age group. However, even kids have strokes. Um, obviously, I, being an adult physician, I, I don't have so much experience um, with the paediatric population. But um, unfortunately, when kids are um, 
uh, unfortunately, you know, perhaps sometimes born with a congenital heart abnormality, um, then they might be have an increased risk of of ischemic and and sometimes hemorrhagic strokes um, can can also result. So, whilst it is predominantly um, an, an older um, generation uh, condition, uh, it, it spans I think every age group. And you mentioned the ischemic versus hemorrhagic. That's important, isn't it? Because that wonder drug only works on one of them. <laughs> yeah, the wonder drug. That's right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, forty about approximately eighty percent of strokes in Australia will be ischemic strokes, and that's the an occlusion of one of the arteries that um, gives uh, um, oxygenated blood to an area of brain tissue. Uh, the the hemorrhagic type of stroke is approximately 20%. It's um, when a blood vessel ruptures and that um, then reduces, obviously, oxygenated blood from also uh, being given to that um, area of brain tissue on the other end of that ruptured blood uh, blood vessel. So with the medication that you mentioned, the thrombolysis, um, two main drugs are used in Australia, alteplase and most recently tenecteplase. And those drugs work at breaking down any blood clots that um, have have been the cause or the etiology, as we say, of the ischemic stroke. If we were to give that medication to a hemorrhagic stroke, that would worsen the stroke outcome and possibly even result in death. So we need to make sure that we have definitely differentiated those two types of strokes before we're able to um, give any sort of treatment. Yes, indeed. We're speaking with Dr Angela Dos Santos and perhaps uh, getting early intervention for a stroke is something that you've had experience with. We'd love to hear your stories, how it went for you or your loved one. You can head to our Facebook page, ABC Radio National, and pop a comment up there to add to the ones that are already growing there. Or you can send me a text, the number 0418 226576. Angela, how important is that early intervention? I've, I've heard about the golden hour how much can you how much difference can you make with with a minute passing in a golden hour yeah so we know that there are uh, billions of brain cells that essentially die um, every minute to every every um, hour that you that you waste or that you're unable to, to to restore blood flow to that area of brain so the faster the patient recognizes their stroke symptoms um, which is really, really important, obviously, that message of, of what is a stroke and what are the symptoms of stroke. Because if you're unable to even recognise the symptoms of stroke, then you don't call an ambulance and then you don't present to hospital and then you cannot get that uh, those imaging modalities that are necessary to differentiate the hemorrhagic versus ischemic and then you're unable to get that treatment to then resolve or, or treat your stroke. So for every minute delay or every second delay, um, then you, you risk essentially a worse stroke outcome. And as I mentioned, that, that first story, that woman was treated within 40 minutes of her stroke symptoms resolve, um, uh, having started and having complete resolution of your symptoms because you're able to quickly recognise, attend hospital and get treatment is, is what the mainstay of treatment in Australia should look like. And so it's, it's a, sorry, continue. No, no, go, go on. Yeah, so it's obviously very important that um, uh, I guess everybody understands the signs and symptoms of stroke and they're able to make that first call. I was wondering how stroke literate we are. There's that acronym, isn't there? F-A-S-T. Yeah, the FAST acronym, which has um, been the mantra of most stroke neurologists for uh, many years now. Um, and it stands for fa uh, FACE, um, which is the F, the um, uh, A, uh, um, sorry, speech, uh, time, and A is arm. So if your arm is, is weak, then you would call an ambulance. So face, arm, speech, and time. Time meaning if you 
sorry, time meaning if you, you, you have to call an ambulance as quickly as possible, so don't delay time. And what is it that stops people getting to an ambulance in time? Is it just that people don't spot the symptoms or are we just all soldiering on a bit? Yeah, so I think people soldier on. I mean, Australians are, are pretty robust and I think that they hope that the symptoms will resolve. Um, I know that uh, my dad probably wouldn't call an ambulance if he was if he was had a problem with his arm. He'd think, oh, it'd probably just get better. Um, so I think that people don't, don't recognise that it is um, not going to improve if we if they don't call an ambulance, and I also think there's a a major part of pain playing uh, plays a huge part in people's presentation to to hospital. So if you're in pain, which people usually are if they're having a heart attack, for example, they call an ambulance because they can't suffer. But a stroke is painless most of the time. You may or may not get a headache. More likely, you don't because uh, it's not a it's not a feature of of stroke. So pay, people uh, who are not in pain and that think maybe their their arm will just improve, um, they just sort of, you know, wait it out. A lot of people will go and have a rest or lay down and think things will improve when they wake up. Uh, if you're living alone, you won't be able to recognise that you don't um, that you have a problem with your speech. Um, and a lot of people don't also don't recognise that they have any troubles with their vision. So um, they will go about their day. Some people jump into their car and start driving and it's only after they have a car accident that they recognise they couldn't actually see half of their half of their visual field. Um, so it, it can certainly be innocuous and, and people just don't recognise that it's a stroke is the actual cause and that there's treatment available if you were to get to hospital quickly. Let's talk about the mobile stroke units that you're involved with uh, and how much of a difference they can make if they get to people quickly. How does it work? Do they go instead of an ambulance? Um, so we're dual dispatched, and that means that um, when a when a person calls the triple uh, zero, um, they have a a set of questions that are asked, and those questions then determine what sort of um, what the possible diagnosis or what the possible issue is with the patient. So the um, call taker is then able to dispatch uh, a usual road ambulance, which is closest to the hospital, uh, patient. And then at the same time, the mobile stroke unit who is based at the Royal Melbourne will be activated. And so we start driving towards the patient as well as that usual road ambulance. So as we're driving through, we, uh, sorry, as we're driving towards the patient, we also receive updated information from the ambulance crew that may have already arrived on scene. And they give us um, a situational report which essentially discusses what they think is happening. And if they feel that the patient is definitely having a stroke, we obviously continue on. Um, once we arrive at that patient, the um, uh, ambulance officers give us a handover and we assess the patient. Um, myself as, or, or any of my other colleagues that are neurologists on board that ambulance, we are able to then go into the patient's home, assess them, uh, uh, decide whether or not we think they're definitely having a, a stroke and then we transfer them out to our mobile stroke unit, which has a CT scanner in the back of that um, unit. We're able to load the patient in there and, and literally within about 10 minutes we have our first image. And then so, I understand. I know yeah. we've only got uh, a limited amount of time to talk to you today, but um, I want to talk about a couple more things before we wind up. And I know that you're trying to kind of reduce the numbers of units that have to go out and also uh, obviate the need to have a neurologist in the back of one of them. Tell us about the stroke helmets that you're developing. 
Yeah, so the stroke helmets will um, allow a lighter weight imaging device that is mobile and able to be in multiple ambulances. And I guess that means that more Australians will be able to receive that very early assessment. It time, time taken for an ambulance to drive out and assess a patient to then bring them to hospital is what we're trying to reduce. So if you're able to, if you're, you know, living in rural or, or, or regional or remote Australia and you have the, an ambulance that approaches you and it's already got an imaging device inside it, then you can place that imaging device um, on the patient's head. They can have a an imaging an image which is then trans, transferred via um, telehealth mechanisms to a neurologist who's able to then receive these images. They're able to look at them and then discuss with the ambulance officers who are at the patient to even go ahead and treat them if we think that it's um, – treat them depending on whether or not it's an ischemic or, or hemorrhagic stroke. So, I mean, the – that's the purpose of, of the Australian Stroke Alliance and the aims of that is to deliver that urgent and, and life-saving care to all Australians. And it's bridging that, that health inequity that we see across Australia where if you don't live in a, a region, uh, sorry, a metropolitan area, then you can't receive that um, treatment within that golden hour, as you mentioned. So essentially we're hopefully bringing that time-critical stroke treatment to the patient. I would love to hear from you if this is something you've had experience with, particularly if you do live outside a city and access to medical care is very different. Head to our Facebook page and tell us your story there, ABC Radio National, or send me a text 0418 Dr Angela Dos Santos is with us, Australia's first Aboriginal neurologist uh, based at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. And as you've been hearing, she's working on these mobile stroke units and trying to develop also these stroke helmets that can uh, make it possible for for paramedics in ordinary ambulances to help uh, get that right diagnosis and treatment to people very fast. Angela, you're a Quiambal and Goombangir woman yourself. What do we know about how strokes affect Indigenous Australians and why that is? Um, yes, yeah, so we know that the incidence rates, so that's how um, uh, in a population um, perspective, how many patients are having a stroke in a certain time period. So incidence rates are higher. So we know more um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander patients have strokes than the non-Indigenous population of Australia. But the most important thing is that these strokes are happening at a younger age. So there's on average 10, but sometimes up to 30 years younger than, than non-Indigenous Australians. Um, there's, it, it's truly very multifactorial, to be honest, but I feel that the, um, there, is, there is a lot of work to be done with um, allowing Indigenous communities to really lead the way um, and, and tell us what is necessary to change these, um, th these, these statistics or these data. Uh, it's important um, and, and, and another aim of the Stroke Alliance to engage with communities um, and listen to communities and make sure that we value Indigenous knowledge and then together create a solution um, which is led by uh, Indigenous peoples of that community. Every community is different and every community will have a, a, a particular um, idea that is going to work for them and, and it's really important that uh, we value that. It's also part of um, important for the Australian Stroke Alliance that we um, ensure culturally safe um, stroke care pathways. Um, helpfully, hopefully we can enable culturally appropriate stroke recognition um, 
pathways and then timely access to that specialist care and treatment. Tell us a bit more about that, Angela Dos Santos. How much culturally safe medical care is available and and what might it look like if uh, treating specialists took on board more the the strengths-based approach that I know the Stroke Alliance works with, looking at Indigenous Australians' worldviews and taking that on board when it came to treating strokes? I think you'd find that a lot of Indigenous, uh, sorry, First Nations or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples would, um, be, if you if they're given, I guess that that ability to make their own decisions and, and putting the um, their, as you said, those their knowledges uh, to the forefront and helping to to work with communities to enable culturally safe care, that would ensure that um, our our First Nations communities. Firstly, um, have the knowledge to recognise stroke. They're then feeling empowered to um, to access care um, within their culturally safe uh, healthcare system, uh, and then being able to access and, and have treatment and, and specialist care um, would reduce those you know those striking um, statistics that I briefly mentioned. You know those incidence rates would reduce, and the 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 younger age of patients would would no longer be the case. I mean, and that's that's the most important part. I mean, I I can't stress how important it is to to make sure that we have our next generation of elders, and we can't having have our you know our current um, our current patients at such a young age having a stroke, and not being able to to get back to community, um, caring for their loved ones, and and um, or having any sort of disability. So it's really um, a really a strength of the Australian Stroke Alliance to have uh, such a huge, um, huge importance on this issue. And I know that you have credited the Australian Indigenous Doctors Association as being very supportive of medical students. How are we going, though, with getting greater numbers of Indigenous doctors and specialists? Yeah, it's it's on the rise. However, it's still not um, it's not on par on you know on par with non-indigenous specialists. Um, so I mean, there's over seventeen thousand um, physicians in Australia, which is uh, a physician is what a, a neurologist is. I'm not including surgeons or GPs or or you know psychiatrists or obst- obstetricians. I'm just talking about the physicians, so cardiologists, respiratory physicians, neurologists. So there's over seventeen thousand non-indigenous, and currently there's only nineteen. Indigenous physicians. There are over 400 doctors, though, um, and and general practice is um, is a, a specialty that a lot of um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander doctors um, choose, and there's many reasons for that. So I think we have a long way to go f- to improve our, um, or, or sorry, increase our our physicians. However, um, over the last few years, um, with the uh, I guess in- increase um, in universities. Uh, that are number one um, allowing or, or, or holding a medical program. So I know when I first started the universe, Western Sydney University, it was the first year. So I was the first first cohort of of medic of doctors or, or medical that were part of the medical program. So there's been an increase in medical programs, and there's also been an increase in the number of um, of Indigenous doctors coming through. Uh, so I think it is it is imp- it is gradually building, and the numbers will continue to in- increase. And I do th- certainly thank um, AIDA um, and also I'm part of the uh, Royal Australian College of Physicians and I think they're doing a wonderful job at being able to um, support Indigenous physicians 
and AIDA, the Australian Indigenous Doctors Association. It was pretty disheartening, though, Angela, to read that you yourself have been a witness to some pretty awful racial slurs just in your time in the field. Do you think that that is improving, this awareness that, you know, that's not okay? Yeah, I do. And I think that's coming, though. It's got to come from a a grassroots, excuse me, but also a a higher up political standpoint of making sure that, um, you know, we we truly need to embrace um, our culture and um, amplify and really encourage Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander patient people uh, in general to um, be heard. And I think that does come with, you know, recognition in the constitution um, and a treaty. Uh, there's also that uh, a voice to parliament, which is um, the Uluru Statement from the Heart. I mean, all of the, all of that momentum that's really coming through at the moment, that, that's bringing um, change. And I'm, I'm really really lucky actually to to be the age that I am because I know that my um you know my grandparents did not have the same experience Indeed. Dr Angela Dos Santos uh, in Melbourne, a health worker, fingers crossed for low case numbers in the future and uh, much appreciate you joining us today. Thanks very much. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Dr Angela Dos Santos is Australia's first Aboriginal neurologist. She's a Quiambal and Gumbangir woman based at the Royal Melbourne Hospital where she also works with Australia's first mobile stroke ambulance.